Sharper Iron spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, October 20th, we're studying Hebrews chapter 7, verses 20 to 28. In today's text, the author of Hebrews brings great comfort to Christians by proclaiming the eternal priesthood of Jesus, which was sworn to him by God's oath. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor David Boisclair. Pastor Boisclair serves as interim pastor at Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Overland, Missouri. Pastor Boisclair, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hey, it's great to be here this morning. As we get started today, Pastor Boisclair, talk to us about the book of Hebrews, any context we need leading up to chapter 7 to help us with this text. Well, I think this text uh, uh, really um, goes in as part of the author's argument uh, in, in his, his goal to uh, persuade his, his readers and listeners to uh, stay faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ and to, and to um, the gospel. Uh, because at this time, uh, these are uh, believers that had been Jew- Jews or came into the Christian church through Judaism, uh, as, as uh, of course, St. Paul did and, and St. Peter and all of the apostles and, and the churches in Jerusalem, etc. Um, in this particular case, uh, you have a situation in which the um, uh, Gentile Christians are being persecuted, probably by the Roman uh, Empire in the city of Rome. Uh, it's probably the what we call the Neronian persecution, which is the very notorious uh, in in church history. And uh, you, in in a, you have these particular believers, uh, Jewish Christians, who uh, are 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 witnessing this, and um, you know they're they're contemplating uh, perhaps. Uh, you know, leaving Jesus Christ and Christianity and returning to uh, their their Jewish, uh, um, more more Jewish tradition of of worship at, at, in a synagogue and and other and other things. And the author is, of course, uh, by the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, showing them how superior uh, that it that the Christian faith is actually the God-given faith, and that uh, Judaism is is uh, is inferior. Uh, even if you take into consideration all of the um, uh, wonderful history from the Old Testament, and so he's he's making a, a, a the argument, uh, you know, and just just a masterful interpretation of the Old Testament scriptures, uh, a knowledge of of these, and 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 really gives us some tremendous insights, even for our own strengthening in faith as we look at these passages. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Now, in, in chapter 7, that particular Old Testament background that he's been unpacking has been from Psalm 110, and especially regarding the priesthood of Melchizedek. Can you just kind of bring us up to speed with this passage from Psalm 110, which we, he will mention again today, although he changes direction a little bit from Melchizedek and, and focuses slightly differently, but just remind us kind of where, where we've been in terms of this thought of Jesus being a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Yes, this is a very important psalm. It's a psalm of David. 
Um, and Jesus, of course, uses it in, in his uh, discussions with the uh, elders and chief priests, scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, and so on during Holy Week, uh, where, where he asks them a question. He says, uh, you know, who is, the, who is the Messiah? Well, he's the son of David. Well, how is it that David calls him Lord? And then he quotes from uh, Psalm 110, the Lord or Yahweh said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And, and, and of course, he stumped them, you might say, uh, because this, this is a messianic psalm. And I think it, it, it provides a very high Christology for uh, us theologian, Christian theologians in talking about Christ. Uh, you know, and, and St. Paul deals with it like in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, uh, you know, he must, uh, all, all his enemies, all of the, uh, that oppose Christ must be placed under his feet. And, and so, and, and so it's, a, it's an unpacking of this, of this tremendous psalm in which there is a conversation between the Father, God the Father, and God the Son. But most especially uh, when we see that he receives something, we always say that that is in accordance with his human nature as opposed to his divine nature. Because in his divine nature, he has all things. And that, that's unpacked in this particular chapter of Hebrews, how important that is. All right, so we're going to see him quote from this psalm yet again in our text today as he continues to extol the priesthood of Jesus, that he is just the priest that we need, superior to any other priests in the Old Testament. Our text, again, is Hebrews 7, beginning at verse 20. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. That's our text for today. That's Hebrews chapter 7, verses 20 through 28. Pastor Boisclair, our text begins with the author of Hebrews bringing up the matter of an oath, which he has discussed previously in the book of Hebrews, the importance of when God swears. Uh, talk to us about how it's, being, how it's coming up here in chapter 7. Uh, he points out that in the case of the um, uh, Levitical, uh, you know, the priests of the, um, of, of, well, of course, now Judaism, but, you know, in other words, the Old Testament faith, that they were not uh, inducted into office by an oath. Uh, and that in this case, it's an oath from God himself. And, and you know, it just it's so inspiring that when God takes an oath, he can't find anything better or anything more p powerful or greater 
to swear by, so he swears by himself. I myself have sworn, and in this case, uh, I, I have sworn that you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So here, you know, this should um, maybe be very incumbent upon his uh, readers and listeners that it is God himself who is taking an oath, uh, you know, that, that uh, you know, as he, as he did in the other cases, like with Abraham. I, I swear, or swear by myself that uh, because you have done this, uh, your your posterity will be like the sand on the seashore and the and the stars in the heavens. So that that's that's a very powerful gospel oath. Right. I mean, when he talked about the matter of the oath at the end of chapter six of this book, it really was to emphasize the certainty of what God was doing. So the the oath that he made to Abraham, the fact that he he swears by his name, because there's nothing higher that God can swear by. This emphasizes the absolute certainty of God's promise that, I mean, already, God's word in and of itself, there's no doubt that what he says is true. And when he gives you the oath, too, then you have that double certainty. And so now he's taking that and applying it, especially, especially to the fact that Jesus is this, this high priest that we need, we can be absolutely certain of it, not only because God has said it, but he's actually sworn to it by his own name. It's so comforting for us as sinners because this, in other words, God is taking this oath for the purpose of saving uh, his people or, or the people of the world because God is not willing that any should perish but that all reach repentance. And, and, and this is, this, in this particular passage, you have... Uh, in, in expression, uh, such a clear uh, giving of the gospel to, to the church. Uh, he is, Christ has, uh, you know, suffered once for all. He is the high priest. And then, and, and you're not talking about um, any type of a worldly arrangement. Uh, you know, like in, in later in this particular epistle, he will talk about the difference between the um, worldly sanctuary uh, in the temple, uh, which I believe would would have been still in existence at this time with its uh, you know sacrificial cult, uh, and and then of course the eternal temple in heaven that Christ has been made a priest forever in. So I, I think that that's an important point to bring out that this is more than an earthly arrangement that's being discussed here, and, and it seems that the way that the author emphasizes that within this text is in the way that he quotes from Psalm 110. So we've seen Psalm 110 quoted several times just in these, these surrounding chapters, and when he quotes Psalm 110 in this case, in verse 21 of chapter 7, notice that he doesn't talk about Melchizedek. He doesn't bring up the order of Melchizedek here. He has in the past, but he doesn't here. Instead, as the English translation ends, it's with this matter of, you are a priest forever. So the oath really seems to emphasize the eternal, heavenly nature of Jesus' priesthood as what's being expounded upon and, and emphasized here. And it's, it's not only uh, as priest. You know, we think of, of Christ's threefold office. He's the prophet, he's the eternal prophet, he's the ether, eternal pr priest, and he's the eternal king in fulfillment of God's prophecy to David, where he says, I will set on, on the throne uh, of Israel um, your, your descendant forever. I mean, that's fulfilled in Christ. And here, here not only is his, his uh, royal office 
eternal, but also his priestly office is eternal and his prophetic office continues to be eternal in the church as as uh, he addresses us in, in word and sacrament and, and uh, as he proclaims, uh, you know, our need for him and then his gaining of eternal life for us. And it is remarkable how the author of Hebrews does bring those three offices of Christ together and expound upon them in so many ways throughout this epistle or this sermon, as Dr. Kleining suggests that it is. And you, I think you really see especially emphasized his office of priest, which is certainly what's being talked about primarily here. And you definitely see the office of, of king. That's been especially in the first couple of chapters. But even that office of prophet, which maybe doesn't get quite as much expounding in this sermon, it's, it's there from the very beginning, really, in the very first couple of verses, where the, the author notes that in many ways, long ago, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but now in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So you really do see those three offices, how the author of Hebrews invites us to consider Christ in all three ways. Uh, perhaps when we when we teach this in confirmation class, Pastor Boyce Claire, the threefold office of Christ, we need to quote more from the book of Hebrews, or at least I know maybe I do. Well, I, yeah, I, I really would commend uh, pastors to, to do that because he deals with that. And, and, and what's interesting, it isn't, it, he got, kind of goes underneath uh, the, um, uh, you know, maybe the words that we, we read in the Gospels or in, in, in Paul's epistles. Um, and and, and by, by God, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's, he's able to give us some insight into this. It's sort of like, well, uh, what reason, pastor, can you give us for continuing to be Christians? Well, uh, the, the, what you're, you, you would be giving up so much. Uh, one, thing, one thing that I, I just wanted to share uh, for my, in my own uh, spiritual life is that uh, when I was in, uh, just graduating from high school and when I was going into college, uh, I was confronted by Jehovah's Witnesses. And uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, of course, uh, by their uh, by their work, uh, try to discredit our Lord Jesus Christ by saying that He is not true God, and and, uh, and so in a sense, uh, they're 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 saying to go toward their or accept their religion. I I was not interested in their religion, but uh, I was always concerned about how they were saying our Lord Jesus Christ was not true and eternal God, and uh, you know if if it could be proven, which it cannot by the word of God, obviously it, the, the word of God teaches Christ being the true uh, son, God the son and, and eternal, uh, then I was thinking, well, my only option would be to go back to Judaism. You know, I mean, if, if Christ is discredited, then uh, the only option for those who want to be rightly believing and believing in the true God would be to just simply go back to the Old Testament, which is basically what these believers uh, that are addressed in this epistle to the Hebrews uh, were contemplating. And in the pastor here, uh, the, the, um, or, or as uh, Dr. Kleinig says, the apostolic legate uh, is, uh, is trying to dissuade them from doing that by, by presenting how much superior uh, the faith of our Lord Jesus is, uh, that it is the only true faith. Mm. Well, just the way that you, you phrased that goal about, you know, what reason can you give me, Pastor, for continuing to be a Christian? That thought of continuing to be a Christian, I have been one, why should I continue? Thinking about that question in light of this text, the reason you should continue to be a Christian is because Jesus continues to be your high priest, 
to be this high priest that you need. And I don't want to jump too far ahead of, of where we are in the text, but just thinking through, all of those high priests of the Old Testament could not continue to be your high priest because they died. Jesus can continue to be your high priest and does continue to be your high priest because he is the eternal one. He is the one who has this eternal oath of God, one that was spoken in the past, yes, in the context of Psalm 110, but continues to resound to eternity. So why should you continue to be a Christian? It is because Jesus continues as your Savior in the in this threefold office of prophet, priest, and king, and again, especially continue to be a priest in the context of chapter 7. Yes, and and uh, you know I like I like uh, previous to this text uh, where it says that he he does this by on the basis of an indestructible life, and and it's referring it, it this refers to the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ that he is a true human being or even as the apostle Paul says he there is one God and one mediator between God and man the the man Christ Jesus. And whenever we speak in Scripture about him being given something that he is, uh, that the that the uh, Yahweh, the, the that the true and eternal God has has sworn forever that he is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's an, that is concerning our Lord Jesus uh, in according to his human nature, as uh, in his divine nature he has all power, authority, and and all things in heaven and on earth. But um, this, this emphasizes the fact that he, as a human being, uh, is given this, um, uh, this prerogative of being a priest forever. A- after, after Melchizedek, of course, who had no genealogy, was, was uh, someone that appeared uh, and, and blessed Abraham after the slaughter of the kings in Genesis. Yeah, and it, you know, just thinking about, as I mentioned earlier, the way that it, this verse from Psalm 110 gets quoted here, the fact that he does leave Melchizedek's name out at this point, I think, is is significant, because as much as he has emphasized, yes, Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, which makes him superior to the priests in the order of Levi or the order of Aaron, now, by leaving out Melchizedek's name, you do continue to see that entire uniqueness of Jesus as this high priest, that even Melchizedek as a type didn't measure up fully Melchizedek was only pointing forward to Jesus, and by leaving Melchizedek's name out at this point, you really are left with just seeing Jesus now as the high priest that continues on, the one that you need alone. Yeah, I think that's, that's very important to emphasize, uh, because, um, because it, we want to center our attention on, on our Lord, who is very unique. I mean, he's, he's uh, uh, not like uh, the priests that followed Aaron, uh, Eleazar, or, um, you know, Zadok, or anyone else, uh, you know, they, they, they were uh, successors. And, and you know, it, it kind of is it, sort of an arra- a human arrangement, which, uh, you know, maybe, um, uh, uh, well, well, I'll use the word tenuous, <laughs> not something to rely upon. All, all the Old Testament cult um, is as the writer to the letter to the Hebrews says, is it is impossible for the blood of, of bulls and rams and goats uh, and the ashes of a heifer to, uh, you know, expiate sin or, or to be an ex, ex, expiatory sacrifice. Uh, you know, and then, and then, of course, you have uh, him who is eternal, uh, even as a human being, uh, you know, is the one that is able to expiate sin and has expiated it, has has completed it. 
Now, as, as the writer of Hebrews moves on from this quote from Psalm 110 and verse 22 of our text, he says, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Help us into what's being said in verse 22 of our text. I don't think I can do better than to uh, mention what uh, 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 Dr. Kleinig says in on page uh, 362. He says, there are three things that catch our attention in this remarkable assertion. By means of his oath, God gives Jesus as a guarantor for the delivery of his blessings to humanity. In the ancient world, it was common for a wealthy person to offer some of his assets as legal collateral on behalf of a friend or client sponsor, or client, I'm sorry, client for a debt or the fulfillment of a contract. If that friend or client defaulted, his uh, sponsor who, was, uh, who had made the guarantee would be legally bound to make up for what was lacking. But here we have a remarkable reversal of that exclamation point. God does not demand a guarantee from his people to ensure their service without default, but instead provides the risen Christ Jesus as a guarantee of what he pledges to give to them. And even more remarkably, he does not offer something that belongs to Jesus, but Jesus himself as his guarantee uh, to them. And, and, and uh, basically that shows you, you have, and then you can say God himself offers himself as the guarantee of this, of this covenant. Right. So, okay, that's, that was one point that Dr. Kleinig brought out. I think he says there's, there's three things. Did you want to keep digging into a couple of the thoughts that Dr. Kleinig has about this particular verse that stand out to us? Yes, he, he mentions that uh, in, it's an even better covenant, as, as right. it says, uh, makes, uh, of course, uh, and, and obviously that Jesus is, is a human being, uh, that, that he is the, is the mediator. I, you know, those, those are pretty much what I, what I sure. thought that he said. Um, you know, it, it's rather interesting, as one, one of the points is that this author uh, knows his, his uh, first century law, and right. about uh, the law about uh, a testament, uh, you know, a, fi- um, a last will and testament that's made. Um, and that, that's kind of important that Christ uh, gives us his body and his last will and testament of, of his precious supper. Um, and, and, and in this particular case where, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a situation where uh, he knows something about contract law. And, and, and what's rather interesting is in the ancient world, the first written document was a contract. <laughs> Naturally. That's right. That's the stuff you got to write down. <laughs> you don't want to get cheated out of your stuff. So Abs- no, Absolutely. But you're, you're right, I think, and I think that's a, a good point, not only in the, the reversal the, of the normal circumstance that, that is worked there by the Lord in verse 22, but even in, in what we were talking about earlier with the fact that God gives the oath, and that installs Jesus as this eternal priest. Dr. Kleining also points out that that's a bit unusual, too, which this is still true in our world today, that when a person assumes an office, the person who's assuming the office is the one who takes the oath. But here it's the one who's granting the office that gives the oath, which again assures the certainty of it and the eternal certainty of it. Yes, absolutely. You know, when, when you and I were ordained as pastors, we were put under orders. Uh, right. the, uh, you know, in other words, that we were, we'd be faithful uh, to the scriptures and to the Lutheran confessions, and that we would conform our teaching and our 
uh, or conduct of the, uh, our office to uh, the the divine word, which of course is 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 uh, supreme, and then of course uh, the the church having confessed that divine word through the um, what we call the Lutheran symbols or Lutheran confessions, that we also conform our teaching and our practice to to them as well. And, and so, in a sense, that's a promise. So, I mean, perhaps when we look at the oath, we can, we can see it as, as a real supreme promise from our gracious God who gives us his salvation and has, has accomplished it through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Yeah, again, the fact that it's a divine promise sworn to God by his own name just only serves to emphasize the certainty of this promise that, that God has made. So he has installed Jesus as this eternal high priest for us, making him the guarantor of the better covenant. Maybe just briefly, before we go to our break here, Pastor Boyscar, talk to us about that better covenant. He introduces the thought here, but it really becomes important as the, the letter progresses. Just give us a, a sense of what that, that's going to entail. Yes. Um, the... The um, old covenant, of course, was a covenant of the law. The better covenant is the covenant of the gospel. And it's rather interesting that Martin Luther, when he translated uh, Hebrews into German, he use, uses the word uh, in German for testament uh, as opposed to uh, covenant. Covenant has the, has the idea of, of kind of sort of two equals or, or maybe, um, you know, in other words, a, a two-way street, you might say. And that, of course, is the, in the manner of the law. Do this and you shall live. That's a, that is a covenant because, uh, you know, the, for the persons that are benefited by that uh, arrangement, uh, they have to uh, comply with uh, the demands of the covenant. Uh, the new covenant, of course, is, is our Lord Jesus Christ, or as Luther says, to, to possess Christ. Um, you know, by the power of God's Spirit through the Word, and and it is it is um, uh, a, a one-way street from from the Lord down to us, and that we receive all blessings, eternal life, and and all everything. And how can you top that? Hmm, that's right. So why why not, or why would you forsake this for something else instead? Again, that same encouragement: continue in this Christian faith, this eternal high priest that you have who gives you the better covenant, something far better than anything else God has bestowed. Hold on to him. Continue in him. That's the encouragement. We're going to keep looking at that more on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor David Boisclair this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Lutheran Church Extension Fund exists to support Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and church workers. How do we do this? Your investment with LCEF makes it possible for LCMS churches, schools, organizations, and church workers to receive low-cost loans for new and growing ministries. And faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, make that possible when you invest with LCEF. Learn more at lcef.org. 
LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, October 20th. We're studying Hebrews chapter 7, verses 20 to 28 with Pastor David Boisclair. He is the interim pastor at Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Overland, Missouri. Pastor Boisclair, prior to the break, we were about to verse 23 of our text, where the author of Hebrews says this, The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Talk about this contrast that the author draws between the former priests and now Jesus. Well, when when we uh, witness the gospel of our Lord Jesus to others, um, you know, we we there is kind of like a a question: Are you going to rely on yourself? Um, you know, of course, there's the presentation of the law, um, and uh, you know there was that prior covenant even in the Old Testament, where you know if you if you will obey my covenant, uh, then you will I will be your God, and you shall be my people, um, and 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 really. Um, because of the fact that we are by nature sinful and, and unclean and unable to fulfill uh, God's demands in his, uh, his old covenant, uh, we, we, we need something. Uh, God has to step in and, and take over and, and to um, uh, make atonement for our sins, but also to, fulfill, uh, to provide uh, the... Um, uh, the fulfillment of the demands that the law makes of us, and 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 that is certainly what we have here. And then, but then we also have it's it's kind of like comforting if people are in in uh, their worldly dealings, uh, like let's say uh, with a bank or with uh, uh, maybe with a a, a an auto uh, dealership or something. They like when they continue to deal with the same person. Um, they they want always they kind of want a continuity for or, or like a doctor too and you know a lot of times people have mentioned to me well my my doctor just died yesterday uh, mm. you know I I've got to have to find a new doctor uh, you know and, and so there there's kind of like an un, there is that situation in in our fallen world where where there is death of course that uh, it uh, it separates uh, us from maybe a, a right transaction of our affairs. And, and, and one day, of course, the Lord will call us home to be with himself. So, um, you know, nothing is permanent here. Uh, and and, and uh, what, uh, what we proclaim to uh, the people that we uh, share the gospel with is that there is, a, there is a permanence here because there is a Savior who is eternal, and he is one of us, bone of our bones and flesh of our flesh, uh, who is able to constantly uh, uh, save us from our sins. Yeah, thinking about the again, you know, you you imagine all these these priests who were many in number, and I think many in number, not that there's a whole bunch of priests running around at the same time, but rather one after another. This list of priests, or, or if you think about, you know, if you've looked at a, a congregational history, you might see this pastor served from this date to that date, and then the next pastor came, and then the next pastor came, that kind of thing. That 
throughout the history of Israel, you have this numerous priests, and the reason that's the case is because they all died. I mean, the, the end of their priesthood isn't that they took another call, but the fact that they died. Well, here's the priest who endures forever. He is permanently priest because he's got this oath, and because, as we're going to see here in a moment, he lives forever because he's risen from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus plays a, a huge role in this. As I was thinking about these verses in preparation for our our conversation, Pastor Boyce Clare, I, I was, as a circuit visitor, I, I often help congregations that are vacant. And and these verses, I think, are, would be especially comforting to a vacant congregation to know that even though your pastor has has taken another call, maybe he hasn't died, but he's taken another call, and you don't have a pastor who's there right now, your called pastor to bring the words of Christ, that does not mean you've lost your high priest, Jesus. He is still your high priest, the one who's interceding for you before God. He will continue for his word to be proclaimed among you. And it just, it strikes me that that those who, who have lost someone in that sense that their pastor is no longer there, whether by death or taking a call, verses like this, I think, should be very comforting to us in those situations. Oh, uh, absolutely. And it's, and, and, and that, of course, is the reason that, that uh, the true faith is, is, um, uh, something to be preferred to any any other type of religion. Of course, uh, you know the the religion of Judaism is a religion of the law. You know, as as uh, we're taught in seminary, that there are only two religions in the world. There's a religion of the law, and there's a religion of the gospel. And the religion of the gospel is one that is established by God Himself and God, our precious Savior Jesus Christ, who is who is always uh, ready to understand it. He understands us perfectly. He's made of the same stuff that we are, but also the true and eternal God. Yeah, yeah. So again, this is such a, a wonderful comfort to us that Jesus holds this priesthood permanently. He continues forever. And then in verse 25, the author uh, draws this conclusion. He says, Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Help us with those words, Pastor Boyce Clare. Yes, um, be, because he is um, uh, our mediator between God and man. Uh, as he became a human being, he, he um, uh, took upon himself the task of, of uh, making satisfaction for the sins of the whole world and, and uh, has, has provided uh, a... a um, a perfect salvation for us to be received through uh, the, the hearing of the gospel, and um, you know, obviously this this is in line with the fact, and, and that that's the whole point of this particular chapter is that he is uh, the God Man, he is the incarnate one, he's the one that has uh, taken on the the eternal office of prophet, priest, and king. So he is able to save to the uttermost because because he understands our weaknesses. He, he himself, uh, in, in his um, worldly ministry, uh, went through uh, very, very sharp uh, temptations and sufferings. And, and, and as the writer of the letter to the Hebrews says, he learned obedience by what he suffered. In other words, his, uh, Christ, according to his human nature, uh, progressed in his um, maturity, in, in his spiritual maturity. And, and so... Obviously, he's able to save all of us, especially if we're undergoing something. I think one time, many with our uh, people we minister to, they, they say, you know, I, I mean, I've heard it. Uh, one woman who was terribly afflicted with uh, arthritis said, said, Pastor, how could God uh, 
be allowing me to go undergo such such suffering and such pain and and doesn't he really understand what i'm going through you know it's weird because uh she had a cousin who was who was probably about 15 20 years older than she was in her 90s and she said well uh cousin uh uh, there, our Lord Jesus suffered so much more in in His suffering and death, and so He He totally understands uh, what you're going through, and and turn to Him and trust in Him. He's able to save to the uttermost. I think so. It's it's kind of like the word uh, where you, sometimes you see in in some uh, you know uh, signs on churches that Jesus completely saves. Of course, they have their own meaning to that but we can we can say yes that's certainly true jesus saves me in every possible way i remember the film uh, titanic that when the uh, the lady uh, who was who came through the uh, uh, sinking of the titanic and then met, uh, remembers the the man that she fell in love with who died the very same day or after a few days after they met on the titanic she said that uh, this fellow saved her in every possible way that a person could be saved. And, and such a thing should only be said about our Savior. He saves us in every possible way that he, ca- that he could possibly save. Yeah, that, those, that language of being saved to the uttermost should, should bring us absolute confidence and comfort and certainty in our Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what situation we find ourselves in. And you can just see how so many things that the writer of Hebrews has said leads to that. You know, Jesus is the one who shared in our flesh and blood so that he can be this very high priest for us. And now he's the one who's risen from the dead to be this high priest for us, again, not just at one moment in time, but at all times, eternally. And I love the way that that last line of verse 25, he always lives to make intercession for them. I hear the hymn, I know that my Redeemer lives, echoing that line from Hebrews 7 in so many ways. In fact, I think that's one of them, that he he lives to intercede for us above. And, and over and over again, that hymn in our Easter hymnody, and, and often sung at funerals as well, uh, brings that comfort to us that the fact that Jesus lives and will never die again means that all of these things that he is for us it's not a one-time thing, but it continues on now and forever, and that's such a wonderful comfort. And he, yeah, it's that. That's the. That's what he does. You know, like they say, well, we do that because that's what we do. This yeah. is what Jesus does. He is. He is living. He is risen from the dead for you, so that he can make intercession for you. That's what he does. And and I love how what uh, Saint Augustine said, or what he's uh, supposedly—it's uh, it, kind of like arranged with some kind of illusion that he said—that if I, if one of us, any any of those, any of the listeners that are listening to us now, anyone is the only sinner, uh, Jesus would have done everything that he did just for that one person. And and what a what a, a very uh, powerful, intensive, uh, uh, you know, exhaustive. Uh, redemption that he has provided for all of us. Now, talk more about that. what that means, that Jesus is the one who, who always lives to make intercession for them. What is, what is that intercession that Jesus makes for us? Well, it, it's like, um, a, a, as it says, that he is a, seated at the right hand of the Father, so that, um, you know, it's, it's a comfort that uh, he always shows the Father uh, his wounds that, he, uh, that were inflicted upon him on the cross. Uh, and uh, you know, just like he showed, uh, you know, his his apostles, his, his hands and his side and his feet, 
uh, that, that uh, you know, the rich wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified. Uh, no angel in the sky can, can uh, uh, bear that sight, but uh, downward bends his wondering eye at mysteries so bright. So it's, it's that, that, that he, he himself is an intercession for all of us and, and what, what he does. That's why we show him on the cross, because it is at that very moment that he uh, gave up his life, uh, that uh, he destroyed Satan and death and, and, uh, and rises. He cannot be held by death, but rises as the inconquerable uh, risen one uh, for all of us. And, and this thought that Jesus lives to make intercession, to intercede for us in this way, this should bring us great comfort in our own prayers to the Lord, because we know that the Father is going to hear the, the prayers of his own Son. And so if the Son is interceding for us, then we should take great confidence, as the writer has said earlier, to approach the throne of grace with confidence and boldness, knowing that our prayers will be heard, because they are joined to our brother, Jesus. His prayers are heard, and so our prayers are heard as well. Yeah, and, and that is, of course, why we as Christians always pray to God, uh, the Father, pray to God, uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus. Whatever you do in my name, uh, you know, it will be it will be done for you. You know, and and that's that's of course we why we always pray in the name of Jesus. Um, that 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 that's the way our divine uh, service has it. That that uh, we pray to our heavenly Father through our Lord Jesus Christ, who has mm. uh, uh, given us the uh, reconciliation with the Father. Now, as the writer of this sermon continues into verse twenty six, he says, "It was indeed fitting." that we should have such a high priest. And then he gives several adjectives that describe Jesus, our high priest. He calls him holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. I believe there's five different descriptions he offers of Jesus as our high priest, and this is how he is fitting. Help us into these descriptions of Jesus as our fitting high priest. Yes, uh, I, I was hoping you were going to mention these. Uh, there's a, in the, the first is the Greek word hosios, that is, uh, that is defined as free of anything that impedes a relationship or contact with God, holy and devout. Uh, so so that was the, that's the first thing. Then you have two uh, words which use the what is called the alpha privative, uh, meaning it's, it's not this. It's definitely not this. Uh, you know, usually when you'd see that it was someone was ho holy, it would be hagios in Greek. Uh, in this particular the word, the second word is akakos, which means not evil. You know, he is absolutely not evil in any possible way. And akakos also means guileless or innocent. You know, he is the innocent victim uh, who is sacrificed for the sins of the whole world. Uh, then, then you have amiantos, uh, undefiled or pure, that is free from any uh, contamination. Uh, so, so, and, and you know, you, you have such a, a a confession or teaching of of the sinlessness of our Lord, which comes even after that with uh, the word uh, having been separated away from sinners. It's a it's a perfect tense, a perfect um, participle, which means that is he he was even as a human being he was completely uh, separated from sinners, and that continues on into eternity. 
Uh, and, the, and then the word apa in Greek means away from sinners. So Jesus most certainly was not a sinner in any possible way. That, and the, this uh, author uh, really expresses that. Uh, he is separate from, having been separated from sinners. Uh, you, you know, even as the angel said to the Virgin Mary, you know, this, this holy one who is to be born of you shall be called the Son of God. And then finally, of course, it, it says that he is um, uh, hypse lauteros. He is even higher than the heavens, uh, that the word that's used there. He's, he, he is exalted uh, high uh, up to the heavens. He's exalted higher than the heavens. You know, the heaven, even as I, I just love the words of Solomon when he dedicated the temple, he said, the heavens of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built for you. Uh, that he is, he is exalted high above all the heavens. That's right. That's right. So talk just briefly a little bit more or clarify, make sure we understand. As the English translation of verse 26 has that Jesus is separated from sinners, this doesn't negate the fact that, as the Gospels teach us, he's the friend of sinners, and that he comes to, say, eat with sinners, that he comes for sinners. So he, he is those things, and he comes to be with us, to, to be our Savior, to be like us in every way, except without sin. What's being said here is especially that except without sin, but he still has come to be with sinners, as we hear elsewhere, like in the Gospels. Okay, just make sure we, we have that clear. Oh, yes. Uh, this, this refers to uh, his human nature that he has. Uh, you know, his human nature, of course, relates him to us. Uh, and, but as, as you said, he is like us in every way except sin. I've heard teachers, um, you know, probably scholars, uh, Christian, and I don't want to necessarily say they were Christian scholars, who say, well, but Jesus, if he is totally like us, then he has to be a sinner. Uh, if he were a sinner, he would not be able to, uh, to uh, rescue us from sin. He would not be able to be the Savior. He would not be able to be the mediator between God and man if he were a sinner. So it, it, this, this is a really a strong emphasis of his own uh, holiness and his own sinlessness. But, uh, but obviously, the, 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 the great comforting thing is, is the contrast of this. I remember one person telling me, I don't believe in Christianity because it has too many paradoxes. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in other words, law and gospel, uh, God says that we're damned if we don't fulfill the law, or, you know, he gives us uh, eternal life as a free gift. That's a paradox. In this particular case, how can the one who is separate from sinners be the friend and, and one who associates and eats and drinks with sinners? But that, that's, uh, that's the manner in which our God gives us Christ, is that he, he is not only uh, purely holy, but also one who loves all people, yeah, whether yeah, sinners it's a, or not. a beautiful paradox that the Lord accomplishes for us and for our salvation, to use the language of the, the Nicene Creed. So those five adjectives, again, describe Jesus as our fitting high priest. The author continues then into verse 27 that he, Jesus, has no need like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Help us into verse 27. Ah, yeah, and there you have the, the fact that, and, and this, of course, is what Christians have to deal with every day. We, we daily sin much and indeed deserve nothing but punishment. Um, obviously, uh, in the, the old worship of the old covenant, 
um, you, you had the need of daily sacrifice. Uh, and and uh, some have pointed out that uh, there was no necessarily any provision in uh, uh, the book of Leviticus or in the, uh, the, uh, the, the Pentateuch of Moses for a, sacri- a special sacrifice for each of the priests. But all of, the, all of those priests were sinners. You know, even we, are, uh, even we as pastors uh, have to emphasize to our people that we are not uh, separate from sin, uh, that we also uh, daily sin much and indeed deserve nothing but punishment. Uh, and, and, and so in this particular case, it's that, uh, you know, obviously for, for a sacrifice to be, um, to, e- to be effectual is one that is made once for all. And, that, and that's the point. That's why uh, when we offer ourselves and we offer uh, the gifts to God in, in the divine service, uh, in our worship, uh, this is a, a, a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. It is certainly not an expiatory sacrifice. That's why we disagree with those who say that the um, uh, Holy Supper of our Lord is an expi- expiatory sacrifice uh, to God. Christ, once for all, on the first Good Friday, uh, offered himself uh, as a sacrifice to God. And, um, and there is no more, in, in a sense, that ends a sacrifice, that fulfills the need for sacrifice. So what we have in our sacrament of the altar is God giving us the gifts from that sacrifice. That's why we still have altars in our church. We don't perform any expiatory sacrifices there, but it, it is there to remind us that Christ has made a sacrifice of himself. Now the text concludes then in verse 28. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Help us into this last verse of our text for today. And and um, so so then again in the old that's that's the contrast between the old covenant. Although you know it, it there is a continuation where there is the called ministers of Christ that that are are of course. Um, limited by uh, a, a, a life which uh, is finite, uh, begins and comes to an end. But, but in a sense, uh, that's all that that old covenant, covenant has to offer to them uh, because there is no, there is no word of, of uh, the, the uh, free forgiveness from him who is made perfect forever, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so in, in, in a sense is, what what's better for you? I think uh, many of us uh, receive a lot of uh, calls. Uh, what do you have the best uh, medical care or best uh, plan for yourself? Uh, if it, it depends upon human beings on on things in this world and in this life and in this age, uh, then then there is nothing that is perfect than that which has been established uh, by our God in in our Lord Jesus Christ, who is who ever lives to make intercession for us, who is perfect forever, and who is outside of time and history, but still comes into time and history to touch us with his word and sacrament. Now, at the end of that verse, where it says the the Son ha- has been made perfect forever, this is language that we've seen elsewhere in Hebrews, and we try to clarify it every time, because sometimes that might be misunderstood. What does that mean, that he's been made perfect forever? Well, um, as, as, I, as he mentions, that uh, that the Lord Jesus, according to his human nature, learned obedience by what he suffered. Uh, and, 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 and so that in, in undergoing that, he was able to save thoroughly those that, are con- that like us, 
that continue in this life daily sinning much and, and indeed deserving nothing but punishment. Uh, so, so in a sense, it's, it shows the completion of um, you know, his, his receiving of, of all uh, the blessings and prerogatives and, 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 and offices that God has to offer to him according to his human nature. And so, uh, you know, the, obviously this must be speaking of Christ according to his human nature, not according to his divine nature, because with that, he's always perfect. You know, he is, is perfection itself. Hmm. Yeah, and, and also I think in the sense of perfection less than, not necessarily moral perfection, sinlessness, but perfection in the sense of, of completeness, that he's done all the things necessary. It is finished, as he said from the cross, that in that way, this is the perfect son, the perfect high priest, because all things have been completed, all things have been finished, so that he is our fitting, eternal high priest, always living to make intercession for us. Got about two minutes here, Pastor Boyce Claire. Help us to wrap things up on this marvelous text from Hebrews 7 this morning. And then, and then there's the promise that as, as he has been uh, perfected forever in eternity, so also he will perfect us. You shall be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. You know, that, that statement from the uh, Sermon on the Mount, our Lord, uh, in a sense, it, it's kind of like a, a law presentation or proclamation by you, you, you are to be perfect. Or, you know, the word there means mature or, or, or uh, uh, made, uh, you know, like, like God, even as St. Peter says, we will uh, partake of the divine nature, which is immortality and, and the sinlessness and holiness. Uh, but that, that's comforting because uh, as, as he has gone through all of it, as he has set foot everywhere a human being possibly could set their foot, even in hell itself, so he is always living to make intercession for us and always perfects us through his word and sacrament, the word of the gospel, the word that Jesus has suffered and died for the sins of the whole world, that he uh, gives us his true body and blood to eat and to drink for the forgiveness of our sins that we receive by faith. Uh, that, that we daily remember our baptism where we were adopted into God's family, that we receive his words, I forgive you all your sins. And so that's where that work continues in, in our own lives. Pastor David Boisclare is interim pastor at Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Overland, Missouri. He's been helping us today to study Hebrews chapter 7, verses 20 to 28. Pastor Boisclare, thanks for being our guest today. It's been a, a joy and a blessing. Thank you. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Hebrews chapter 7, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.